Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode two of The Starting Line with me, Rich Lee. Now, this week, the intro might sound a tiny bit different. I've been chastened. This last week, I've had a few friends ever since we released the first episode with Levi Roots. I have been told off that that was my phone voice, that that is professional Rich, and, you know, who the hell is that imposter? So they said, as soon as you got into the chat, it was cool, it was you. But what was it with the scripted? It was completely scripted <laughs> beginning to the episode. So here I am, tie loosened, not being professional, phone voice rich. So uh, firstly, I should say thank you very, very much to everybody for their kind words, for listening to episode one with Levi. It went down incredibly well. I'm very, very proud of it. Levi's happy with how it's gone as well. I spoke to him in the last few days and... Yeah, I just, I couldn't have hoped for a better start. To be honest, I don't know what I hoped for. But a friend of mine that works in and around the industry said that it was in the top 10%, possibly even pushing into the top 5% in terms of downloads of podcasts released. So that's not too shabby, is it? Very, very excited to be bringing you episode two with Marnie Swindles. Many of you will know Marnie as the winner of this last season of The Apprentice. So 2023's Apprentice, for those listening way into the future. The Apprentice is a BBC business show in which people vie, contestants vie for a £250,000 company investment from billionaire Lord Sugar, who himself is one of the UK's real rags-to-riches success stories. I was introduced to Marnie by Lord Sugar's PR advisor, an advisor to all Apprentice winners, actually, my ex-boss and my friend, Andrew Block. So Andrew put us together. Marnie invited me to her gym in Camberwell. That's the Bronx gym in Camberwell, a boxing gym. Marnie really has had to fight for everything from a young age. And I think this interview is going to give you such a good insight into who she is, why she is who she is, and really the extent of her ambition. A fantastic conversation. 
thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope you do too. So follow this show on all of the socials. Follow us at Starting Line Show on Instagram, TikTok, on Facebook. It's the Starting Line Podcast. On Twitter, just because of character limits, it's Starting Line Show, but without the W. I think if you just search for it, you'll find it. If you want to find out more about me, about the podcast, just go to startinglinepod.com. Without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Marnie Swindles. Thank you for showing us around your gym. Thank you for being here. Thank you for looking. I, I show as the, the first opportunity I get to show anyone around. I'm just like an excited puppy. It's like dragging people in like, let me show you this. Let me show you this. I'm very proud of it. I completely understand why. It looks absolutely incredible. And you showed me the, the back area and you said that that's where the investment from Lord Sugar is going to kind of come in. Yes. So the basement, the, the lower part of the gym, that's all been done. That was completed using other investment that I raised. The next layer, literally, is the ground floor, which is going to be a more conventional gym, weights, running machines, and just draw on the market that perhaps aren't interested in boxing. But a lot of even the boxers, they want to know, they want to lift weights, they want to go on the treadmill. So it's having a little bit of that to keep them happy. And I think this is a good way to reach that mass market. People who are interested in fitness might not have considered boxing. Bring them in through the treadmill and uh, make sure they get a pair of gloves on them. How are you finding the balance between training people, the business, the media stuff? How are you balancing it? Because it opened in February. Chaos. It has been, it's just been a lot trying to not only open a gym, but open a gym in the public eye, but want to do it naturally like a, a predisposition of me is to want to do everything so perfectly so to try and pour all my effort into that but keep up with the media and be present it's it's a lot it's a lot and the sacrifice has been at myself the business hasn't sacrificed the media hasn't sacrificed as you can tell from my voice like this life is taking its toll on me absolutely and you i guess you're in here all the time 24 7 24 7 um i think it's really important in the infancy of the business to be on the ground and try and set the tone for it be around for when problems arise and also lead the team. I don't want to be one of those disappearing in and out sort of leaders. You know, I want to be here with them, alongside them, part of the front line of, of making this gym work. How, how was the apprentice experience for you? Did you, is it, is it one you'd, would you repeat it? Would you do it all again? It was beautiful, really? honestly. It was a beautiful disaster. <laughs> of course, you see on the TV, you see us at each other's throats, you see things falling apart and everything unfolding in the worst way possible. But once you're actually out of it and you look back, you realize how many incredible moments you have. I look back and I can really appreciate just the opportunity. Like when else in my life would I be jetted off to Dubai and have to run an event and be exposed to all these designers and just just incredible opportunities on that we mentioned about your gym and how proud you are looking around the branding i touched on that it looks incredible you know the branding episode or the branding task when <laughs> when you're in there with everybody else all the other contestants and they're you know on, on the, the final and they're there telling you oh yeah maybe we should call it this maybe it should look like this maybe this should be the tagline <laughs> why do i feel like you're about to call me bossy rich are you, <laughs> but are you kind of cringing in, like not cringing that's not fair but you know are you thinking i know what i want and it's not this, but you've got to go with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I, I think I got a bit of a reputation and it sort of became a tagline <laughs> that in every episode I was like, guys, I have a vision because for every task that we was presented with, my, my imagination immediately started flowing and I had all these ideas. And even if they didn't 
you know, become the thing we went with. I was always ready with something to put forward. Um, and for better or worse, <laughs> you can't say that I didn't participate. No, definitely not. If not, try and take over on a few occasions. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, strong-minded that's you know well it's, you know it's what you're in it for some people call it bossy i uh, call it knowing what i want <laughs> it's only ever, it's only ever bossy when it's women it's true it's Rich. true i try i try to be assertive and when i do feel like i have the right idea i do try and get behind it and feel confident about it one of the things though in all, in all seriousness the apprentice taught me is that i'm not always right mm. that there are moments when it is better to listen than to just be the person outputting the idea sometimes to absorb it to sit to, to receive sometimes is the way forward um, and that's actually helped me in the transition to the real world of business is really trying to get feedback because what I think makes a great session isn't what everybody else does and learning to appreciate that there are other voices um I think I think it's something that's been invaluable coming out of the back of it and do you keep in touch with anybody still yes yeah. Yes, we have a very active WhatsApp group. Um, a few of them are off to Ibiza together today. Okay. I unfortunately I'm not because I'm stuck here running this place. Um, <laughs> but no, there's such a bond that the situations you go through, the adrenaline and the ups and the downs, it's something that really unified us as a team. And throughout all the disputes that we had, the camaraderie was always stronger. I mean, it seems like such a, a lovely bunch of contestants this year. You know, I think, again, I've, I've kind of worked in and around it um, a bit and I've seen contestants possibly going into it not for the same reasons you did. I think if I, if I can say, I think you always came across like, I'm here for the money. It always felt like you were there for the right reasons. Is there anything that you're glad didn't come out in the edit? Actually, I wonder. I wasn't always like in love with the edit. I think yeah. sometimes things were missed that would have told the story differently. But having said that, I mean, everybody probably felt like that. We, again, going back to perceptions and how different people have different views of things, we all probably felt like it wasn't our version of events. The most you know? accurate representation of what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, because everyone has got their competing ideas. And the, the, to be fair to the BBC and the Apprentice team and the producers, they can't make it favourable for everybody on every single occasion. So I think on the whole, it was a fair representation of what happened. But sometimes I think crucial bits were missed, which would have shown. The, the story differently can you name any i didn't love the the edit of the first episode i think that was more favorable than it should have been to some of the candidates it's funny because i guess the first episode to, to an audience every, it's, it's a mishmash isn't it you know you get to meet everybody so you don't necessarily pick up on things or remember things and i, I think the audience is probably not picking up on some of the things that you are as you're watching it yeah but um, i completely get it i think the only thing i'd say is that there was a real competence that kind of shone through in each episode and you know my girlfriend and i called you real <laughs> early on it's going it's gonna you know are you just saying that now Rich? That? because you know, everyone's oh i knew you were gonna win money i think did she though or are you just saying it now everyone you just <laughs> seems really professional you know really kind of switched on I, I mean I hope so I don't think I was always necessarily liked I think people had different opinions of me but as you said I was going in there for for the money and I was there to to play the game which was to try and get his investment so even though I wasn't always liked I would hope that I was always at least respected and that's that's all I could ask for uh, one of the sad things I suppose not about the edit but just the nature of the show is you don't always get to show your real personality because I was in business mode I wasn't in Marnie mode so you know the audience didn't get to see that sort of playful fun warmer side of me and um, which is a shame but I, like I said I was tunnel vision I was focused I think you saw a glimmer of it with our spanking Avi <laughs> 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 or trying my first oyster so there was moments of it 
But yeah, I'd like to let the world know that there's there's more to me than just the the business girl. And you you said earlier on that Lord Sugar's come to the gym. He has. He's been to visit. I mean, I think he liked it. He didn't explicitly say yes. You've done a great job. Well done. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's what he felt. <laughs> were there people here training when he came? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so he got were. to see it all up and running, he got. Yeah, yeah, he got to see it in use. He got to see the space. And it was our first real business meeting, which was really nice. And I really appreciate that he took the time to come down. He's a very busy man, lots of commitments. But he made time to come and see the space that he's invested in. So he's very excited about upstairs and, and where we go next. Ah, very, very nice. So do you have much to do with him outside of, like, do you talk to him very much outside of the, uh, outside of that visit? Yeah, I mean, he's very proactive. I think he takes his investments very seriously. He's not just puts the money in and then disappears. Yeah, I've been in communications with him. Let's move away from the apprentice. I am mostly interested in why people are who they are, how they get to be the people they are. And I think you've got an absolutely fascinating story and it really resonated with me. So you were born in Oldham. Yes. Um, how long were you in Oldham for? Um, not that long. Only a few first few years of my life is in Oldham. Do you remember it? But all not. I mean, I do because I we spent nearly every weekend growing up back there. So I don't, I don't remember the first few years of my <laughs> life. Uh, but no, I'm very familiar with Oldham. My grandparents remained there, so we would see them every single weekend. So I spent a lot of my childhood in Oldham growing up there. Nice. And um, from it's a funny place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've been. It was a, it's a really working class place. It used to house all the mills. So you'll drive around there. There's just a lot of estates. And then you'll see this huge derelict mill that's just been ransacked. I guess that was probably a big employer. And then... Yeah. And they all went bust. Um, it's, a, it's a low income area, but it's got a lot of character. She's what I love about that's it. That's the thing. I, <laughs> so um, somebody else I'm speaking to for this as well, he said, um, I'm from a council house myself. You know, um, he's from this council estate, I guess, because I was in a series of houses with the only council house. So we were like scum, yeah. you know, <laughs> like everybody looked down on us. But um, I, I almost wish that I had that kind of camaraderie, that the, the council estate camaraderie that people talk about when they come from somewhere, this kind of lower income, you know, that idea that people, it's that community, isn't it? Yeah, I think the whole of Oldham, I mean, it doesn't have many, <laughs> if any, sort of middle class zones. Mm. So everyone is really in the trenches together there. Um, everyone's looking for a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 centre, uh, which is where my mum lives now, is just full of personality and character. I spent a lot of my time growing up. We did markets and car boots and you know, as as little as there was in terms of money and material stuff, there was so much in terms of personality and love and care. And, you know, places like that, they, even if they have nothing, they will give you whatever they have. Like my mom, my mom has got nothing, but she'll be the first person to make you a brew, make you food. And it's just a sense of generosity. Like, it, it, you know, if we haven't got it, at least we all haven't got it together, you know? Do you get to see your mum much? Or does she come down? Has she been seeing the gym? Uh, yeah, I go and collect her from Oldham. I get my fix of chips and gravy <laughs> and then I bring her straight back here and we we spend a lot most of our time in London now. But I always go in and check on her, make sure she's all right. Is she proud of you? And she said that she's proud of you? Yeah, but you know, my mum has a, has a sense of Lord Sugar about her. She's uh She's not too giving for praise. You know, you've got to work really hard to get that sense of approval. So she is proud, but... I don't think she'd let me know it. So, I mean, I, I heard you talking um, the other day about her saying that crying was a weakness. Yes. I guess it just makes me feel like, do you feel like that's true? I mean, as I've got older, my view on it has matured. And now I understand that expressing emotion, crying is, uh, is a way for people to show vulnerability. And it's a way for people to connect. 
So now I'm way more open. I, and even on the show, as I, there was moments on the show where I got emotional and it was, it was evident I was about to cry. And even in those glimmers, I could just hear my mum saying like, don't cry, don't cry in front of people, don't cry. There was actually a moment that didn't make the cut when I found out that I'd made the final five. And I immediately just felt that surge of emotion. And the tear was about to fall and Baroness Brady, not Karen, Baroness Brady <laughs> and Tim sort of looked at me. And um, I remember Baroness Brady saying, getting emotional, Marnie. And I said, no, 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 I'm the tough one. Like, and it's even there, it, it's that feeling is within me not to let the world know if I'm feeling something. And I think once... Once we uh, did the filming of the final and, and who won, I cried again then. It became an absolute <laughs> melt on that show. And they both said to him and Brandish Brady was like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to be tough all the time. So, yeah, I'm softening. I'm softening. It is funny, isn't it? Because I was never explicitly told, you know, everybody says, oh, boys don't cry and all, all that sort of thing. I was never explicitly told that, but I guess it was quite a violent childhood. And you just very quickly learn that it doesn't, doesn't help. You know, and also it, you know, it's almost like I'm not going to give you that. So I I think it was like 20 years or something. Genuinely, like from me thinking, I'm never crying. What's the point? You know, and then it's only in the last few years that I'm like, okay, no, 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 I can... Like, you know, as, as exactly as you say there, as you kind of begin to mature, you think, no, like, you know, there's, 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 there's room for this. There's room to actually let that feeling kind of, you know, come up and out. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it is it, not crying is a facade because everybody feels like they want to cry at some point. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? Why do we do that? You feel, I think you feel like committed to portray yourself as this unbreakable person that can conquer anything. But actually crying and that and showing that is a real way people could connect. No, I agree. And I, I, I did find that as I got to those later stages in the show, I was being received better by people where they did see that different side of me. Went into it first episode, tunnel vision, like really focused, like hard line, I'm here for business. And as people saw, there's a personality and there's a heart and there's, there's, there's emotions in this. When I let that come out a bit more, people responded differently. Yeah. And I think that's it. As soon as you open up, people are like, oh, she's a human being. And I can yeah. actually, you know, I can relate to her better. Yeah. And people relating to each other, just that bit more and understanding the, the, the kind of more human aspects of success and perseverance and drive and ambition and failure and all of those things. Um, which brings me to, you said that you didn't want to talk too much about your roots, I guess, because you were desperate that it wasn't this sob story. But you have got a really interesting childhood. You're, you're way into boxing even and you know I guess the way you've lived since then and what you're doing now business-wise it is fascinating do you do you want to get more into who you are I guess and why you are who you are yeah those things? I, mean, I think I think I am who I am every everyone is who they are because of who they were and experiences shape people you know I was always just very conscious that I wanted a different life to the one I had when I was younger. I wanted more freedom. I wanted more money. And I'm actually shameless in saying that. A lot of people think it cautious to say, you know, I want better for myself. But truthfully, I, I wanted a better life. I wanted more, I wanted more money, more options, and to see more of the world. And that's something I was never going to get by staying in the confines and the parameters of the life I began in, you know? Yeah. And because you lived in a caravan for yeah. how long was that for? Um, for about 12. 13 years growing up yeah so was it the case that you'd look at that and think I want more for myself than this was that yeah definitely yeah. I was always like um, embarrassed to bring friends around because they had houses and I had a caravan yeah. and it was you know I was very self-aware of it as well I, I was very aware that I, we had less than 
other families and I just didn't want to be that person. Like I wanted more. Well, I mean, I have exactly the same. So I remember a friend saying they wanted to come around. They're like, I've not seen your house. I didn't ever bring my friends to my house. It was not the place to bring your friends. I brought him and before he arrived, I hid the, um, the like no frills, quick save. You know, I, I hid it all. My mum saw me hiding it. And she was devastated because, but it, you know, it's exactly what you're saying there. It's that feeling of, you know, I know I've got less. I don't want everybody else to, you know, kind of judge me on the basis of what I have or what I don't have, you know, judge me based on me. And you said um, in something else recently that it was almost like transcending almost your, your, your upbringing. Uh, absolutely. That, that's my whole mission. My whole mission is to transcend where I came from. I, I don't want to be confined by that. And so many people are, so many people remain in the same areas they grew up in carry on the same jobs that their parents had, which is fine if it makes you happy, but I don't think it always does make people happy. And I think people follow the path well-trodden rather than say, you know, what do I actually want my life to look like? I remember my granddad having a conversation with my mom in front of me and my granddad said, you know, she can be a cleaner like you, you've done all right, like just do that. And my mom snapped at him and said, don't speak like that in front of her. Like you're, you're almost framing her life before she's had a chance to do what she wants and my mum was so hot on me getting an education and being more than what she's been and I think all parents want that all parents want better for the next generation and I think it's, it's it was up to me to make sure that, that happened so everything I've done has been an intentional proactive concerted effort to break those shackles and, and do something completely different and constantly surprised myself like even becoming a barrister it was it wasn't that I had this overwhelming passion for law it was like what a way to prove what you're capable of that I can check that box having come from the the place I have yeah it's funny isn't it the the professions that as you grow up without money you look up to and you think okay that's a that's a reputable profession am I interested in law no I mean you must have had an interest in law and clearly intellect to make that happen you, you look at those, um, I remember thinking like, you know, a banker, like a branch manager must be on unfathomable money because they work around money. You know what I mean? But what are you striving for then? Is it financial security? Is it financial freedom? Is it a billion pounds? Like what, what are you after? Yeah, fi- financial freedom. Um, never having to have, have to have the conversation about money. Never having to have that concern. That The issue of money plagued and haunted my mum and dad. Every single day was a conversation about affordability, what's possible. I don't want to live like that. Like we have one life and for it to be dictated to by this construct of money is unimaginable. And the only, you can't escape it. You can't just decide I'm living outside the parameters of money and uh, I'm going to exit the economy, thanks. Like you can't decide that. What you can decide is to ensure you have enough to play the game. So that's my whole mission. It's just have enough money that no one can dictate what I can and can't do. I can be involved in what I want. But then I have the addictive traits that it's never enough. So even if I said, you know, a million will make me financially secure and free, it's not enough. Even now I'm, I look at the gym and I want more and, it, you know, we're doing really well. We've got members and I want more members and I want them quicker and I want them faster and I want them, you know, that's um, a personality trait that I think will haunt me. I wanted to pick you up on that because you talked about how you think you're never going to be happy. Yes. And that's, you know, I said your, I guess, mindset really resonates with me. The number of times I've said that to people, I said, I don't know when enough is enough. I don't know, not financially, because again, I'm very much like you. It's security, right? You know, yeah. And the ability to support others and, and, and those things. But it's that 
when is enough going to be enough? And a friend of mine is like, who needs to tell you you've done well enough? Who ne-? And it's like, nobody, because I don't believe it. You know, like yeah. anything I've achieved isn't enough. Anything I've, any accolades, any awards, anything like that, it's not enough. So when you said that, I was like, I need to get into that with you. Like, why do you think that is? I, I just don't think I'll settle. I just don't think I, I think my personal desire for more comes from something within. Like I can't, it's not a threshold that we're getting that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I also think it is the thing that got me to here. It's that idea of not going, do you know what? I've got my nice job. I've got my wage. I'm comfortable. Let's leave it there. It's the thing that is driving me to go, being a boxer isn't enough. I want to be a coach. Being a coach isn't enough. I want a gym. Being Having a gym isn't enough. I want to have multiple gyms. Having multiple gyms isn't enough. I want Lord Sugar on. You know, like it's that thing that I think probably most successful people have is that like ongoing, never dying fire that just continually, relentlessly burns for more, even if that burn is at your own expense. Can it be suffocating for you? Um, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it, as much as it is a blessing, it is also very much the curse. I always growing up was very keen to do things quickly. So for example, having a gap year, I was like, absolutely not. I want to get the, get the degree done, get that out of the way. Next thing, get that out of the way. And I've always been very time conscious. I'm 28 now. And I, even now I'm like, oh, I should have done things sooner. I bought my first house when I was 24 because I was like, I've got to get this done quick. And I don't know where that comes from. But I did it all with the view of I'll get to retire early. So by the time I'm 35, I'll be in a financial position that I don't even need to think about work. But now I'm thinking I'm going to get to 35 and I'm going to think, what's next? I can't actually think of anything worse than retiring now and not having something to occupy my mind. You would hate and, it, I'm sure. Yeah. Just like I know I would. Because I'm 35 now. And I think, you know, I've, I, I've had the exact same thought where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to get to that and then I'll be happy and then you get to it. And it's not. And, and I've had, I had that rush to be successful as well. Just like you said there. It's, it's a weird construct, isn't it? That notion of before you're 30. What have you got to, what have you got to achieve before you're 30 in your mind? I wanted more houses than I've got. More. I'm 30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had the keys to this gym for three years. Yeah. And through different issues with council, with leases, with the politics, with the, the physicality, like there was sewage, there was flooding, all these things kept delaying until like obviously COVID as well. It's just slowed everything down. I even now, I feel like I've failed because even though I've got here, I've got here so much later than I That's anticipated. That's such a crazy way to think, isn't it? But I completely understand. But I think you can only resonate with it when, when you understand what it is to be so desperate to want more. I said something along the lines of, you know, I don't think I'll ever be happy. And someone was like, oh, you know, you've got all this stuff and you're not happy. It's like, no, I'm not happy. It's, it's not for other people to judge. I, I found people's commentary is one of the most difficult things that it's I had to deal with. frustrating and a snapshot of, they'll have forgotten about it 10 seconds later, but you might not. And that's the, anything that gets in the way of you being and doing the things that you want to do. Yeah. Completely, you know, See, I, I hate the whole notion of, you know, oh, they're just being a troll. They're being a hater. If somebody says something legitimate. But those people, to a person, are super insecure. There's, well, there's no doubt about is, it. This is what I found. Like, it blows my mind how ready people are. And these are probably people that we interact with on a daily basis, you know. They sit in coffee shops across from us or they, they ride the same bus. But the people are just so unhappy. Like, where does it come from that someone goes actively to someone's page to say bad things. It would just never, ever even cross my mind to do it. Even if I detested someone. It's just to waste your time, it, isn't it? Yeah, and to pour that much energy into it. If they don't have a drive or a direction they're going. 
and it is that deep insecurity and maybe they just don't think they could but um, it, well that's another thing it's so easy to discredit someone who's trying of course um whilst you sit there and don't try and it's easy to say you know if i wanted to have a go at it i could do it well come do it, and do it you come and show me how how you get this right <laughs> because did you ever feel like giving up during those difficult times that three year you know the three years of having the keys and and all those tough times that came. There were there were obviously moments when I was like, "This is this ever going to happen?" But I can honestly say, never, never once was it a question that I was going to give up. I think that's part of what's helped me get to where I am as well. It's just I'm very, very relentless and very stubborn. So yeah, day to day, I would have moments where I just wouldn't even get out of bed and just be like, "This is this dream is never going to happen," and I'm just devastated. But it always concluded with, "Right, so what? What's the next?" step there's always that sense of fight within me no matter how bad things are getting like i i just i just want to win the fight i just refuse i refuse to to be conquered on that note can you tell me about your first fight <laughs> yes oh my first fight is such a happy memory probably because i didn't ha- i didn't have any expectation and that's actually a unique angle rich no one's asked me about my first fight before First fight, I trained so hard for it. I'd been training for a long time, but at that time there was no women on the circuit. So it was a long time between starting boxing and actually getting that first fight. Were the people around you quite supportive? People in the gym, family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum was. My mum was never precious about me. You know, some of the parents of some of the boxers are like, they can train, but they cannot fight. My mum was like, get in there, (laughs) do this, do this. She would have pillows that I would like practice. That's brilliant. Yeah, my mum's a fighter as well. She... Make no mistakes, that's where it comes from. But yeah, first fight, trained really hard. People from the gym were there. It was actually the first time a lot of people in the room had seen women box. And I remember I remember coming out and I'd won my first fight and there was this really euphoric feeling of just pure respect. As I came down the stairs, the crowd was like parting for me and like patting me on the back. And it was just incredible. But a lot of them were commenting saying, you know, I've never seen women box, but that was really good. And my style of boxing was fairly aggressive. I was always on the front foot, always trying to go for a knockout, <laughs> you know. What weight did you fight at? I fought a few different weights, 75, even 81, 69, like that kind of bracket. So it was more heavier girls. So we were... So it's probably some really tall, rangy yeah, fighters as well. Yeah, they were all tall. I was, I've only ever fought one girl who was shorter than me. And I actually lost that fight because I didn't know how to fight smaller <laughs> girls. Uh, she was doing everything to me that I usually do. I was like, oh. But yeah, we were. I was in a heavier category. So there was a lot more. I think it was more interesting. To, just like it is with heavyweight men, you're always waiting for a knockout and... The, the punches land a little bit harder. The, the blows are a little bit more impactful. Um, so the audience was like, that was, that was impressive to watch because it was females at heavyweight really going for it. But I loved it. And that set the tone for boxing for me. I just wanted more and more and more of that. How do you feel about women's sport in general right now? I think it's in a good place. I think it's growing. I think it's doing all the right things. Um, I'll be honest though, I kind of have an issue with it being women's boxing or women's sport and it's like everything is whenever I have interviews it's always Marnie who do you think is the best female fighter yeah and we still got this really distinct categorization of like women's boxing then just boxing like we don't say men's boxing and it is I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Feels odd to me. There are a couple of sports where I think it's moved way on from that. MMA being one, UFC is fantastic. I think with UFC, you see it, you see your Amanda Nunez's, you see you know, some of these incredible fighters that, again, they're, they're not bigger than the sport, but they're a real draw in tennis. It's the same. I mean, rugby, um, England women's rugby team just had 57,000 at Twickenham. A few years ago, they were getting thousands, low thousands. Wow. Um, Gloucester, where I'm from, yeah. um, Gloucester Hartbury, they just had their biggest crowd ever in the premiership. And you don't kind of pity attend your way to 57,000 people. You know, it's the product on the field. Yeah. It's the product. Um, so I think we will, or maybe this is just optimistic me. I've got two daughters and a son, but two daughters. You know, I think I'd love it to be the case where exactly that we speak about sport as sport, not this delineation. Um, yeah. Obviously we had the, um, you know, we, we had the Katie Taylor fight at the weekend. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just wonderful to see the biggest ever draw in in you know irish you know boxing in ireland happening and you know just all the buzz around it i mean casey taylor and Chantel cameron they're exceptional 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 female boxers do you know what i mean and it shouldn't be they're just exceptional boxers and until we actually get to that point where we're just calling them Chantel cameron and katie taylor not female boxers Chantel cameron and katie taylor until we get to that point i think it would just constantly sort of I suppose reinstating. We're just reinstating oh, I see, the issue. That's exactly what you mean. You're just By shining key- a light constantly on it rather than moving away from it. Yeah, I had an interview recently um, for a women's magazine. I was being asked a lot of female-related questions, female-orientated mm. sports, female. Th- and I said, I really think that this is the issue. Is keep referring to it as female. This, and, and in some ways, it's a point of celebration because by identifying it, we're talking about it. But at the same way, I think that will be the thing that holds it back from being respected on a very even keel and even playing field i my approach has always been to walk into a boxing gym as marnie swindles not as the girl marnie swindles and i found genuinely that just being who i am my personal character my values my work ethic that has been the thing that gives me credence in these places it's never been an issue of we've got a woman in the gym it's just Mm -hmm. we've got marnie in the gym And I think that's the most effective way. And my advice to all women who want to go into these sort of traditionally male spaces is to go in as you. Don't make the point of, you know, being that only woman in the room. And I found that the men that I'm amongst start to just respect me for who I am, not for my gender. <laughs> you headbutt the guy. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, have you seen this guy since you headbutted him? Uh, well, we, we carried on going to school together. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it an was issue that happened in school. Um, didn't feel in all good conscience that I could just leave it there. He said something very hurtful. As he sort of separated from the group of guys he was with, he walked across a park. He turned around and I headbutted him. Have you ever which... headbutted anybody else? 
it, up to that no, point. No, no. And you know, it's not, it's not even a story that I am proud of. It's not like a, a gimmicky story. No, like it's I all fun. It. it just. It's a difficult time in your life, right? Well, not even so much that. I think I probably would. I wouldn't do the same now. Let me not say that. I wouldn't do the same now. But that instinctiveness is always there that if someone hurts you, you react. And boxing had a massive impact on me, being able to curb that feeling of retaliation and immediately wanting to fight back. My mum's motto was never start it, always finish it. So that was actually the first occasion and the only occasion where I've ever physically lashed out first and you know what if, if it had been the other way around and a guy had done that to a girl it, it would be like I don't condone it I don't condone what I did in that moment but it was honest it was an honest reaction it was the only way I could foresee equalizing what he'd said at that time and you were you how old were you uh like 15 yes I mean bloody confusing time anyway oh, well it was so. a, it was a it was a comment about my dad who'd obviously passed away at that point so it was it was that territory that you don't go there. Like he even just, if you so argue, he, he was one. just trying to hurt you. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. As you said that about your mum, as a parent, it's difficult because I I completely agree. The, the notion of if you start it, you're in trouble. Yeah. But if you, I've said to my children, and you know what kids are like, they get they get scared because they think oh, I'm going to get in loads of trouble from the teachers. You know, if if I retaliate. I tell them that I'd be incredibly disappointed if they don't. If somebody touches you, if they put their hands on you and you don't retaliate, then I'm going to be upset with you. But as much as you might get in trouble with the teachers, if or you know, with any authority, if somebody hurts you and you don't do, you don't do something back, you know, you, I mean, that's just not the way of the world, is it? You know, well, immediately you're yeah. going to, you know, you'll lose some faith in yourself. Other people will see you as, as an easier target. And I've always said, I don't care how, you know, you can get in, you know, have as many detentions as you want know that I'll be proud that you stuck up for yourself. Yeah. It's not a popular sentiment. I appreciate that because again, violence should never be the answer, et cetera. But if, if somebody's enacting violence against you, then it's already violent. What are you going to do about it? No, I mean, I, I agree with that. If I ever have kids, I don't think I'm going to adopt the gentle parenting approach. <laughs> um, just because you said it's a tough old world out there and it, it, people have the best intentions. But when it comes down to it, when push, literally when push comes yep. to shove, you sometimes do really need to stand up for yourself and protect yourself. And I mean, I was never just an asshole in school that went around starting fights, causing issues. I wasn't. I wasn't a troublemaker. So when it came to having fights or having issues, it was with real merit, if that's yeah, the right word. It was coming from a place where something really was occurring. There was a situation. But other than that incident... Any other little scraps I got in, I actively waited for them to make that first move so mm. that it was always a matter of self-defense and reacting. It was never, I was initiating. One, because that's not the right thing to do. You don't just go out and act violently. Also, then at least I knew my mum would have my back. How do you make time for you and your fiancé? You're busy. You're in here all the time. Is he, does he spend much time here? Yes, my fiancé spends a lot of time here. Because he's, he's a boxing coach as well, right? He is. He was actually my coach. Oh, this is how we met through boxing. He is such an integral part of Bronx now and me. And I am just in the most genuinely fortunate relationship where I have a partner who backs me till the end. And had I, if I was to be with someone else, I think my fate and my future and the things that I've achieved might have been very different because I think a lot of relationships are competing with the relationship itself and people's personal ambitions, I can hand on heart say never once as his desire for me in the relationship ever 
been more so than his desire to see me succeed as a person, which just you can't get a more real, genuine relationship than that. Um, we're not in each other's pockets in the sense of we need to constantly reassure each other of of where we're at. We have a very secure, solid, firm love. And I mean, so hard to find, right? So yeah, it be, because he is much more than just a fiance. He's a best friend, and best friends who really are best friends want the best for each other um, and have true intentions. And I just feel his support in everything that I do from him. I can't remember the last time I made my own cup of tea or my own <laughs> coffee. He's there for the little things all the way to the, the big life-changing things like going on The Apprentice and the chaos of coming out of that. Because how long was yeah. it away? Um, how long were you filming? I was away for like 12 weeks and everybody else stayed in touch with their partners and they would write each other letters and I think there was a a sentiment that perhaps I wasn't as in love as they were because we weren't writing each other letters but we've been together for 10 years now like we're we're very set in where we are and like I said we don't need that constant validation so yeah I actually we agreed before I went in there that I wouldn't have any contact so I went cold turkey I thought it'd be harder to have a bit of contact yeah, and then not be able to, because our phone calls were limited to our partners. And so I thought it'd be better to not have any contact, go cold turkey. So you had no phones? I have no phones. No, but everybody else It's like prison, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was hard. The best prison ever though. I mean, yeah, the, I the place we stayed at was beautiful. <laughs> oh, you take me to Dubai. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said that you feel quite guilty though for the things that you don't do for time. Do you make enough time for other relationships, friends, or all the other people around you maybe? No, no, I don't even have a good relationship with myself. Never mind everybody else. Like I don't make any time for the things that I'd want to do for looking after myself. I'm just very tunnel vision. And that's why I said I'm so fortunate to have him because he's a person that watches me suffer, watches me not make time for us, but remains by my side regardless. And most friends, it's, it's hard to achieve. It's hard to achieve those relationships. It is, where... a, it is a relationship though, isn't it? I mean, I know over the years of running the business and three children and all those things, you have to make time. It's difficult. You have to make, you can't find the time. Nobody can just find, you know, it's not like, you know, looking under the sofa and finding some time. You have to make it. And it's tough, especially, and you know, sometimes I've definitely felt and possibly you've felt that that friction between you and friends when you've not maybe been making the effort that they hoped you would. And, and, but it's all for the right, it's all hopefully for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to foster relationships. And I found the best relationships I have are the understanding ones where people get that I, I'm not available 24-7 to talk about dates that they've been on and everything. They, they get it. And I'm finding now that one of the great things about The Apprentice is I met and I've been meeting more of my kind of people, mm. my kind of people that also want to achieve things in their life and understand that if I don't get back in five days, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just focused. And it's been a real blessing. Again, you said, you know, what makes me want to do this? It's that, you know, it's, it's trying to, it's finding other people that are like, oh, okay, you do the same things. You, you have the same concerns. You feel like you're never going to be perfect. You feel like you're never going to be happy. It's not, not, you know, what's, it's not enough for you. And that's fascinating because you don't get that typically because to your point earlier on, those people that are like, why aren't you happy? It's like, you're never going to get it. You're never going to understand. So it's, it's trying to, you know, you did it through The Apprentice and, you know, I do it, I've got clients that are maybe quite successful. And all of a sudden you start to peel back and you go, oh, maybe your upbringing wasn't brilliant. And that's why, you, you know, you go in this direction and it's fascinating. Or maybe your upbringing was incredible, but you've got this massive chip on your shoulder because your dad was ex. And you feel like, I can't live up to that. 
You know? yeah. So that the, the notion of the starting line for me isn't just about you know people start from nothing. It's about we all start from somewhere. Where is that, and what do you do with that? I think there's probably a very um, a very similar set of faculties that all of these kind of people who want better share. There's there's a secret ingredient that all these people have in common that other people don't have and they don't get and they'll never get because you can't you can't train ambition you can't build it into someone it's something that either people going back to what you're saying about the starting line it's either something that people are just born with people are born with it you know that it factor that people talk about Mike Tyson's yeah people are born with it or it's something that is just ingrained as you get older and something you learn but whatever it is and I'm doing quotation marks <laughs> whatever it is it's something that you either have or you haven't. And it, it, like you said, it's really hard for people who haven't got it to get it. So I, um, an entrepreneur I've worked with for quite a long time now once said to me that entrepreneurship, and I, 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 I kind of stay away from the term entrepreneur. Yeah, I think that I it's, it. it's kind of become it's this weird, everybody loves themselves an entrepreneur, right? You know, it's because, you know, oh, I, you know, I started an Instagram shop. And, I, was, yeah, I was literally you know I mean? rich. I was just going to say people who open up an Instagram page, <laughs> put CEO of that CEO Instagram of that page. Of that. And, I'm like, and then I, I looked them up on company's house and I was like, yeah, where? <laughs> where? See, exactly that. But so entrepreneurship is, is, is a weird word, but using it in context of this, he said, it's living like most people want so you can live like most people can't. And I love the idea of that. It's putting yourself through the ringer a little bit and maybe at the, you know, to the detriment of, some relationships possibly, but hopefully you can bring that back around at some point. But it's living like most people won't. You'll be, you'll, I, I know you'll be working late tonight. I know I'll probably be working late tonight because I've spent the day doing this. Like, I don't think running businesses or anything like that is, is intentionally hurting yourself because, you know, you know this self-flagellation. It's the idea that, you know, okay, I, if I don't do this, then I feel like I'm, I'm losing something of myself in not doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really afraid to fail things. Like I'm, and I'm the person that's deciding if it's a failure or not. What have you failed? I, I, and again, I don't want people to listen to this and then comment like, she's ungrateful for what she's got. But I don't feel, even now, even when in The Apprentice, I still haven't got that satisfaction. I still feel like if I've got 100 members and not 150, I feel like I've failed. And I really don't want that to sound ungrateful or, you know, because there's this whole thing about being present and being mindful of what you've got and appreciating it. And I struggle with that. I really genuinely struggle. I, I wish I had that gift of being able to say, do you know what? Well done, Marnie. You've done really well. And I, I just, I can't get there. I find that so really... So who needs to tell you, if I, if I turn my friend's thing he said to me back to you, who needs to tell you that you've done well for you to believe it? It's, it's a me thing. It's like a personal knowing thing. It's not that there's someone I'm waiting for approval from. Do you think you'll ever get there? No. No, that really worries me. I don't know what's missing, the, the thing that will make me feel fulfilled um, and complete. Mm, and maybe that is, maybe, well, you know, you know the saying, you know, it's not about the destination, about, it's about the journey. Maybe that is the, yeah. the answer of it all, is that it is about this chase. Maybe that's what I'm addicted to. Maybe I think it's the success, but actually I'm just addicted to the chase of it and, and wanting to do it better. Would you say you're at a point now where you're quite kind of comfortable? No. <laughs> right now I'm skin because I'm pouring everything I've got into this gym. And so right now, no, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable uh, financially or physically because I'm constantly... <laughs> well, you said that you're not really looking after yourself. Are you like, do, do you mean that in terms of like eating well, training? Like... 
even now, like my, my I must have got about two hours sleep last night because I was up coughing. Um, but the world waits for no man. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how tired I am, how ill I am, I, you just have to get back up, do it all over again. It's so important to live in discomfort. Agreed. I think, and I mean, there's a guy, I don't know who his name is, some YouTube guy. He constantly puts himself in really uncomfortable positions so that he can grow and make success. Muhammad Ali said, I hated every minute of training, but I thought suffer now and live the rest of my life as a champion. And that's so true. You know, one of my favorite quotes ever is a Winston Churchill quote. That is, if you're going through hell, keep going. Because it's just so blunt. It's exactly what it is. exactly what you need to do. Yeah, Yeah, life is not as much as, you know, Instagram videos and we, we keep trying to talk about this, this base of comfort and love and acceptance. And that's good. But the reality is that the, the growth is made in pain. Where is progress? If, if we're yes. comfortable, where is progress? We, we exactly. were talking about this today. Exactly that. Who inspires you? I get asked this all the time and I still don't have an answer. I really, I'm not going to lie. I grew up obsessed with and like knew every line to every song, 50 Cent. No way. And everyone thinks, you know, like, that's a weird combination. No, 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 no. But there was a lot in what he says, aside from, you know, the candy shop and the window shop. Yeah, yeah, Some of his, like, more less-known songs, there's a lot in it about grit and heart and pushing through and not taking no for an answer. And a lot of that, I feel like, especially where my dad wasn't, after my dad had died, that sense of looking for, like, that male figure in many ways, I feel like his songs brought me up. I they really taught me a lot about what it is to fight, and I don't I don't mean physically. I mean in your heart, like fight for something you want. Absolutely love that. It's you know it is a music of struggle. It is a music of kind of you know pushing on, and of course there's this opulence to it. But but the first thing somebody who has nothing does when they get money is they they it's, it's like demonstration of wealth. It's the chains. It's a bigger car. It's, it's a flash car. It's those things, right? You know what? I think you're hitting on something really important there because my mom has never, as long as I've known her, ever had any money. And whenever she gets any money for anything, payment, it's straight back out. And I realized after giving it some thought, I think the reason for that is, is because she has no aspiration to ever make something of herself and, and to grow that money. And it would be such a mission for them tiny bits of, of chunks of money she, she comes across. It'd be such a mission for them to, for her to acclimate wealth that there's no point aspiring for that. It's easier to get that money and get a short, easy fix of, of pleasure out of it than it is to want to try and build something. So I think that's why, I, this is my theory, that's why a lot of poor people stay poor because it's such a mountain to climb. It's enormous. I mean, I, I look at my, my family now even and it was... There was constant debt. It, it is. You're so right. It's, it's like, well, I can't. I mean, my mum, she got some a small amount of inheritance um, when one of her family members died. And it's gone just like that. I mean, gone on nothing. Gone on things like, you know, how have you spent, you know, low thousands. You know, not, not an incredible amount of money, but that's, that's like a million. That's like 10 million to somebody that doesn't have money. And it just goes out and, you know, we've got new clothes for once. So, you know, whatever. And then you think, okay, if only the, the mindset's completely different. And almost my, my mindset has been to do almost the opposite, is to fear the notion of somebody banging on the door to take our stuff. And you know, it's, it's funny because it is such a mountain to climb, you're right. And, but it is money in, money out. And 
It's like Dalmo, isn't it? You know, you think, uh, do you ever watch Only Fools and Horses? Love it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know, any cash he gets is, is being spent on something flash. Yeah. So, you know, just to bring it back around to hip hop, I do think there's a real, um, and to, you know, 50 Cent, I like, you know, I like 50 Cent. There's, you know, there, there is just that, that idea of struggle, that idea of loss, that idea of not quite finding your place, that idea of being kind of looked at in a way like you're all a map to nothing. You know, all, all, that's what, when I listen to hip hop, that's kind of how I, whether actual violence or, or the, the you know, the, the notion of something, of an upbringing being violent, that's what I kind of get. And anytime somebody tries to put hip hop down to me, I'm like, you're not listening hard enough. You know, you're yeah, not- I think there's a real art to it. There's a real, I also really love the English language. Like it was, it was a thing that I loved <laughs> in school. And even now I'll hear words and I'll just get lost in, where did that word come from? Like, how did that happen? So I just love words, love poetry, love, love storytelling through that. I, I think it's such an art form. But then when you combine it with emotions that really resonate, for me, it's more about the graft. It's more about that grind, that feeling of what you put in is what you get out. And that's what 50 Cent always was. Like all of his songs to me spoke about the idea of, you know, putting the work in. Hustler's ambition. So there's a big blank canvas in front of you and you can paint anything, anything on this canvas at all that's important to you or that you love. What are you painting on this canvas? You're asking the wrong person that because I already paint. Do you really? Okay. Yes. So what I'm saying is, is I've already answered that question a million times. Like I love painting. Yeah. If I could give up everything in life right now, disappear somewhere to paint for the rest of my life, I would. What kind of painting? I love it. I love painting portraits. Yeah. Painting portraits that have an element of... Um, well, hyper-realistic portraits, so getting it as closely to the person as I can. I love ones that have elements of light or water, so tears or sweat. I love trying to recreate that. Yeah, I, um, I love it. What, what would you paint if this canvas was like, you know, the depiction of everything that you love in your life? Truthfully, it would be, uh, to me, that if this canvas was to represent happiness, it wouldn't be all the small little details. It would be a picture of paradise. It would be an ocean. It would be emptiness. It would be palm trees. It would be the sun. It would be everything that I hope for. And I think I'm doing all this chase right now for money, a success, for wealth. But it actually all roads lead to that final place of nothingness, of of emptiness but you have to have all of those things before to afford yourself the luxury of having nothing you know I would have a little house maybe not too little (laughs) have a nice house somewhere on an island very quiet horses dogs have my family that would be that would be the pinnacle I think for me that's what success is yeah the success is having the freedom to step away from it all and know in your heart that you have that legacy as well Knowing that one day I'd like to leave the earth knowing that I had a footprint and that I made an impact and that there's a small dent of me somewhere in the world and that I'm not just a forgotten name. I think that's what it looks like for me. And I suppose I'm running 100 miles an hour through my life at the minute and try to do everything so young so that I can find that beach a lot earlier, you know? As, as young as I possibly can. I don't want to enjoy wanna, it for as long as you can. One of the craziest concepts to me is the fact that, and this was one of the catalysts of me quitting my job, is I realized the idea of having to ask permission to an employer 
for me to take two weeks of my own life, my own time to have off and, and have a pleasurable break is wild to me. Like the thought that we would wait until we're now, I mean like 70, late right? 60s, 70, to, to stop working is, I, I, can't, I can't physically get my head around that concept. I can't allow that to happen. Blows my mind. I mean, I'm terrible with any authority. You know, every business owner says, oh, I can never have another boss. I mean, it. it's, I, I really struggle with authority telling me what to do, <laughs> which is probably why I run my own thing. You know, the, yeah, exactly that. The idea that they have this autonomy over you. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, yeah, hard to wrap your head around, but but you'll have employees. Yeah, oh, I mean, authority is not the issue for me. I, I'm quite good at respecting hierarchy and rules and obviously my background in law, like I understand the importance of, of systems and mm-hmm. doing things properly. So I, I don't mind falling to authority. That's not the issue. It's more more the, the, just the concept of it. The fact that you would pull your heart and soul into work for somebody else to benefit from when you could do it for yourself with with employees i would love for them to consider that the work they do for me yes in a practical sense they have to do x amount of hours and money and that exchange but much wider than that i'd love them to feel invested in what we're doing so that they didn't go to work thinking I'm working for someone, but I'm working with someone and I'm working with Marnie to, to, to build something. And I have got the most incredible relationship, particularly with my, you know, my admin team and my receptionists where they do things beyond me even having to ask them, which tells me that they are invested in this. They want this to be big. They want to be part of it. They, and I'd, I'd love for them to have the credibility from it as well one day where they can take some of the, the credit for it. Mm-hmm. On that, how do you run a team? If, if we get business-minded about this for a second, like what are your kind of top tips for managing a team? Well, I am still figuring that out. I, I don't profess to be any kind of business guru and I've got this all mapped out. I haven't. I'm still confronting issues now, how to talk to people, how to, to manage people. But one thing that I set out at the start of any of the relationships I've, I've built now with coaches or receptionists is how important it is to me that people are honest and how highly I value transparency so if they're having an issue talk to me if they want things to change talk to me if they're happy talk to me because we can fix it if someone fluffs up and they they do something bad if they can come to me and respect me enough to just be honest about it we can get through it we can get through something but if it's hidden and it's deceitful that suggests a, a character trait that I can't overcome so we, we can't fix that. If I know you've lied, we can't fix that. But on, with honesty, there's always hope. It reminds me of um, the New Zealand's, so the All Blacks, the rugby team. They have a mantra that good or bad, you'll get that feedback in 24 hours, within 24 hours. And I think about this all the time in my company. If somebody's done something and you want to praise them, you tell them straight away. If somebody's yeah. done something and you need to talk about it, or they've, you know, something's happened and they need to talk to you, always within 24 hours. Any longer than that, it festers, it lingers, it doesn't do anybody any good. So, you know, it's that honesty and ability to be transparent with each other and i love exactly what you said to my i want um, i've always said i want a happy team doing great work working with happy clients not for happy clients yeah you know the, the notion because i'm an agency versus a business um in the sense that you are it's it's you know it's that idea of working with and for each other and really running it like i mean you obviously own a boxing gym you know what it's like you know a physical sport that the, the idea that you are you are only as strong as your weakest link in defense, you are only as strong as your, you know, as, as the, the honesty you can, you can have among each other. Yeah. That working with them for is super powerful. Yeah. I think, I think another thing in terms of how you build a team, one of the thing that I value massively is just character. 
and integrity and and just energy you know it, it, i think i'm a pretty good judge of character and got a good intuition with that stuff so if, it, if the vibe is off and i can feel it's off um again i don't know where we go from that because you you can teach people the skills you can qualify people you can show them the ropes you can't teach heart. And that was actually one of the things that my boxing coach said to me when I started boxing is, you know, we need to work on this. We need to work on this. But you've got the most important thing and that's heart because you can't teach that. So as long as you've got that, you've got potential. That's a beautiful way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very, very much, Manu. Thank you. Uh, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed that. Really good chat with Marnie. So huge thanks to her. Brilliant guest phenomenal episode two just don't think it could have gone any better you can follow marnie on twitter or x again doing the same old gag but i'm rich follow marnie on twitter at marnie swindles that's s-w-i-n-d-e-l-l-s on instagram at the same username you can find out more about her gym at bronxaldn.com and again just thank you you can listen to the Starting Line podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen to and subscribe to your podcasts. Please do give us five-star reviews. We've got a handful so far, and each one is hugely appreciated. Thank you to any written reviews as well. It makes a huge difference. It helps us climb up the charts. It means that more of the incredible guests we've got lined up get listened to, and you can follow us, support the show by following on Twitter at Starting Line Show without the W, Instagram, TikTok, Starting Line Show with the W, Facebook, the Starting Line Podcast. For each episode, we put together a unique little trailer teaser thing, 30 seconds-ish. Quite proud of them, to be honest. So go and have a look. Make it so that they're worthwhile doing. Have a look at our website at startinglinepod.com. Email us, hello at startinglinepod.com with any questions, with any guest suggestions, with any thoughts, nice ones, please. And I don't know, just to say hello. That's what hello at's for. Again, thank you very, very much. Thank you to producer Eddie. You are beautiful. Episode two in the bag. Excited to bring episode three to you next Monday. It is a cracker. There's something of a hint in that. Thank you very, very much. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.